Good morning. It's nice to see all of you this morning. Hope you're having a good weekend and getting ready for spring break uh, for those of you who are able to enjoy it. And uh, if not, we'll pray for you. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully it'll be a time of uh, with your family and enjoying some things that you might not be able to do on a regular basis. Um, just one announcement that we want to bring to your attention this morning before I begin. Uh, next Sunday will be our fifth Sunday family night, and we're doing it a little bit differently. Um, uh, every fifth Sunday, various congregations uh, here in South Florida, Churches of Christ, get together to have an area-wide singing. And this is done in, in the afternoon uh, at 2.30, and it rotates in different congregations. So this upcoming Sunday uh, will be Sunset's turn to host. And we are combining it with our family night. So uh, all of you are invited from 2.30 to 3.30. There will be refreshments following. And uh, hopefully it will be a time where we can interact with other brothers and sisters from other congregations, but also uh, enjoy some time of singing and, and fellowship. You might have heard some of these before, but there are some surprising factors, things that you might not expect that are connected to heart disease. If you live below the Mason-Dixon line, you have a higher percentage of probability of heart disease. That's the South. I'm not sure whether Miami is considered part of below the Mason-Dixon line, but that's a different uh, discussion. Uh, a second possible factor that you might not have thought about connected to heart disease, if you have a bad boss, you have a greater likelihood of heart problems. You might suspect this one. If you love French fries... Or anything fried, higher chance of heart disease. If you use e-cigarettes, there is a higher possibility, a percentage or probability of heart disease. One that we've probably heard but still kind of seems weird. Uh, if you don't floss, then you have a higher percentage of heart disease. Uh, if you don't take good care, gum health is related to heart health. Well, well, some of those don't really make sense, right? It just how does one thing connect to another? There's another one in Jesus's day uh, that was kind of a, a connection that doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, but the Jews in Jesus's day believed that if you didn't wash your hands, that would lead not necessarily to heart disease in your physical heart, but that would lead to an impure heart before God. So you had to wash your hands. And Jews did that religiously. Well, Jesus gets into trouble when some Jews and religious leaders from Jerusalem come up to check out his work and they find his disciples not washing their hands. And that leads to a confrontation that we'll notice today. In, in Mark chapter 7, we're following with Jesus on his journey and we see another of the conflicts. He's had a couple already. But it's starting to ratchet up, and by the time he gets actually down into Jerusalem, it's going to ratchet up to a whole different level that will ultimately lead in his death. And so we're following along and listening in, and then we're getting the understanding as well along with his disciples. Now, in your bulletin, uh, beneath the section in the center section that has uh, blank lines for you to write notes if you choose, uh, uh, you'll find a section of questions. Brian Bergman prepares these questions every week. And so uh, when you see Brian, you can thank him. You can express your appreciation to him for the work that he's doing. But these are designed to help uh, flesh out or to tease out the, the, uh, the different meanings that we'd have in, in the text. 
So what I want to do, the, the text is uh, um, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. You can pull them up on your phone or in your Bible, or you can follow along. We're going to read the first part of it, make some comments, and then read the second part, and, uh, and then make some observations as well. Clean hands do not equal a pure heart. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had, who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. It would be similar in our day if we saw people, uh, elders, ministers, and other individuals uh, sitting down to eat without praying. It's like, what? That's just kind of odd. We wouldn't expect that kind of behavior from people like you. Well, they were concerned about that, so they. Mark kind of gives us a parenthetical uh, uh, statement to help us understand. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Interestingly enough, you might find in some of your translations in Mark chapter 7, verse 4, the word here, washing, is actually the word baptize. So what they do is they baptize their hands after coming from the market, and then they baptize or immerse into water all of their cups, pitchers, and kettles. We'll have a little bit more to say about that in a minute. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, you know, (laughs) Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mere human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And then he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what they might have be used to help their father and mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. The Pharisees believed that traditions were more than just good ideas, especially these traditions of the elders. They believed their traditions were on equal footing as the word of God. The word of God, the law of Moses, is what they would have considered the written law. The traditions of the elders would have been considered the oral law that was passed down orally from one generation to another. This oral law was then later, a couple hundred years after Jesus' coming, was written down, and it's in a book that's entitled the Mishnah. 
And that's where all of the rabbis would go to to see what do our fathers believe about this and about that. The oral law contained seven or six sections and contained laws about traditions, about agriculture, festivals, women, civil and criminal law, holy things. And the most significant chunk of this book has to do with cleanliness and much of it here with ritual washing. Now, now Jesus isn't talking about hygiene, right? Um, it wasn't until really the time of the Civil War that people realized that germs existed and you had to wash your hands to keep uh, germs from spreading. What, what this is referring to is a symbolic or ritualistic way to wash your hands. Now, they didn't invent this. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, uh, Moses instructed, um, God instructed through Moses, uh, the, the priests that before they entered the tabernacle, before they entered into the tent, they needed to wash themselves to be pure. Okay, fair enough. Well, as the years go on, you get to Psalm 24, and Psalm 24 emphasizes that who is it that can enter into God's presence and onto his holy hill or into his holy city and his temple? Those that have clean hands and a pure heart. So a couple hundred years before Jesus comes, when the Pharisees begin to emphasize the reason God hasn't spoken to us for these hundred years, and the reason that we're suffering as a people is because we're not following the law. We need to get back to the old ways, the old paths, as it were. And the Pharisees were convinced that if we would just follow, if they would just follow the Old Testament law, then God would usher in a period of prosperity for his people. And one of the ways that they focused on this ritual purity was by emphasizing the washing of hands. So you would submerge your hands and the, the different kinds of, uh, uh, of regulations indicated that it had to be up to the wrist. They had a pro proper position, what your hands and fingers should look like when they were in this particular position. It had to do with which vessels had to be what. There's 35 pages just on how to wash the cups and the saucers that you would eat with. It, it became so elaborate and complex that it was almost impossible to follow, and so they found themselves washing and washing and washing regularly, so much so that many Jewish homes of the more well-to-do actually had pools built into their properties so that they could do their own washings or baptisms. As Jesus is being criticized by these individuals for not following, not the Old Testament law, but not following the oral tradition that has been passed on, it occurs to him to quote Isaiah and this text that says these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. And, and, and it leads him to the conclusion that what you're doing is really far from what God wants. You're pretending, like the word hypocrite means an actor, you're pretending on the outside to look a certain way, but the reality is, is you look a very, very different, you look very, very differently. And then he gives a specific example, this whole issue about Corban. 
the practice at this particular time was that you could dedicate a certain amount of your resources, whether it be your property, your income, uh, um, your, your goats or the milk or the eggs or whatever you might get, wool, and you could dedicate it for the Lord. And that means that no one can touch it, except that you could keep using it, enjoying it, but no one else could take it from you, and you didn't have to actually offer it up on the altar. So what Jews in Jesus' day had done is they had found some really skilled, as it were, kind of like you know tax attorneys or, or individual CPAs that are skilled in the art of loopholes and finding loopholes, they had come up with this loophole that if you just say that this is going to be Corbin, then you don't have to use it on your parents. And you don't have to waste all your money taking care of these old people. And in essence, they nullified the law that said you really need to care for your parents. Honor your father and mother. But at the end of the day, they were dishonoring their parents, which was the law, and they were following with this particular tradition. So Jesus says, and he concludes this verse with, and they did many things like that. So that was the issue that was coming uh, at Jesus. Hand washing. The Jews were focused on the external. And, and Jesus says, you guys just kind of play act church. You're doing the, all this to be seen. But deep down, you're not really following God or you're not honoring him. And then he moves into a, the, the final part of this chapter, uh, this section. And he does it in two different groups of people, the crowd, and then he'll have a conversation with his disciples. So in verse 14 and following, Jesus calls the crowd to him and says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples then ask about this parable. Uh, we often think of parables as these little stories, but in, in Greek and in Jesus' day, a parable was any kind of, of teaching. So they ask him about it, and he says, are you so dull? <laughs> The answer is yes, but they didn't know. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? It's like, well, why would I see that? We've been taught this all of our life. For generations, we believe that if you eat something impure, you become impure. If you touch something impure, you become impure. If you touch an impure person, you become Impure. And Jesus says, don't you see that that's not the way it is? For, for it doesn't go to their heart, but into their stomach and then into literally the latrine. That's what the Greek says. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, you notice the parentheses. If you had a red letter version of the Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, and then the rest of the words would be either white or typically in your Bible, it would be black. The first part doesn't go into the heart, but into the stomach and then out the body would be in red. Jesus said those words. Mark adds at the time when he is writing. 
that Jesus declared all foods clean. And this is an interesting thing that we'll come back to because Mark is writing probably around 60 A.D., 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion. He's writing to the church that is still dealing with the remnants of this discussion of, can we eat pork? Can we eat food off the idols? The discussion that happens in Romans and it happens in Corinthians and happens in these churches as more and more Gentiles are coming in. And so Mark says, oh, by the way, this is when Jesus said it. He declared all the food clean. It's going to be a couple more years before the church finally figures that out. But this is when he said it. He went on. Jesus went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, different actions and then some attitudes, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy. The Greek for envy is evil eye, literally. Evil eye. You've heard of, not the lazy eye from the cartoon, but the evil eye. Envy. you looking at something because you want it. You're looking at someone because you wish you had what they had. Slander, arrogance, and folly. All these come from inside and defile a person. So, so Jesus mentions these 12 things. Vice lists are common. Paul has a couple of them. They were common in, in the ancient world. And he's mentioning different things that come from the human heart that would make an individual impure. Well, so, so what do we do with this? I mean, we typically, last night, we enjoyed a wonderful feast, had a whole lot of pork, had some chicken. Uh, I don't think I saw any blood sausage on the menu, but uh, um, uh, there was a lot of good things to eat, but I don't think too many people were were concerned. Uh, there were a few vegetarians, uh, and uh, and and they brought their own food uh, <laughs> uh, because a barbecue is not the place for uh, vegetarians to pig out. But uh, well, pig out. That's that's kind of an interesting uh, turn of phrase, right? So so what do we do with this text? Because this has nothing to do with us, right? Nothing. We're not worried about these kinds of things. And so number one, why is it in the Bible? But number two, why is Jim preaching about it? Well, we do want to clarify, I want to clarify, that traditions are not necessarily bad. Jesus talks about the traditions of the elders. And they're not talking about elders like these brothers here, but these were elders like previous rabbis and generations of rabbis. Uh, Traditions aren't necessarily bad. They give us identity. They help uh, inform who we are. They they highlight where we came from and who what our, our, our roots are. Uh, They set boundaries for our lifestyle about what we should do and what we shouldn't do and how we behave and we don't behave. And and we have a lot of traditions in Christianity today across the board, religious uh, Christian organizations and churches. Um, Think about prayer. Uh, uh, Brian led us in prayer uh, just a few minutes ago. Did you catch what he said at the beginning of his prayer? Bow your heads. Why, Why do we do that? Bow your head. Close your eyes. We do it for little kids because we want them to kind of stay focused and not distracted and look around everywhere. But if kids pray with their eyes open and they thank God for what they're about to eat, how do they pray? 
and thank God for the beans and the carrots and for the bread and for the fork and thank God for the juice, oh, the ice that's in the juice. And, and it tends to be a longer prayer, right? So close your eyes. But where did that come from? Where did that come from? Is it wrong? No, I don't think so. Is it the only way to pray? What, what, what's interesting is, as long as you encourage someone to do something that everybody feel comfortable with, then it's accepted. That tradition is okay. If I were to say, beginning next Sunday, every time we pray, we're going to request that you kneel. In fact, we're going to put in a little bench down on the floor so it's not so hard on your knees. Just like they do in the Catholic Church. Now, is that okay? Well, is there anything wrong with kneeling? No. Is there anything wrong with the Catholic Church kneeling in prayer? No. But it's not what we do. (laughs) Traditions. Sunday school. You know, Sunday school is something that's just so innate in part of what a church does. We all know about Sunday school, right? Well, you wouldn't if you lived 200 years ago because they didn't used to have Sunday school and the Jews didn't have Sabbath school. Sabbath school didn't start until after Sunday school. They didn't want to feel left out. Sunday school started in England and it had nothing to do with religious instruction. It was started to give orphan and poor kids who worked all week in the factories, in the mills, an opportunity to learn how to read and write. It was school on Sunday. Had nothing to do with church. It was just a convenient time. It evolved into what we have today. And now, if you were to have a discussion of, well, should we keep Sunday school or not? You'd be thought of as a pagan and an infidel for even suggesting that we do away with Sunday school. I mean, every good Christian knows that a church has to have Sunday school. Again, 200 years ago, nobody had Sunday school. Didn't exist. But now that we have it, it's just really kind of convenient, right? We can drop our kids off. We don't have to worry with them. We don't have to fight with them in the assembly. Uh, We can just out of sight, out of mind, and then we can focus on worshiping God. Well, as we mentioned last week, there is a value for age-appropriate learning. But there's also a value in having children with us in our church life. This congregation, this assembly of the congregation, is when the church is gathered. And so when we eat, we want the kids to eat together. And sometimes we might put the kids off in a kid's table. But generally, if there's a kid's table and I have a choice, that's where I'm going to sit. Because the kid's table is a lot more fun than the adult table. (laughs) And I think that's why some people like to to teach class. (laughs) Um, But what we're saying is that it's not a bad thing, but when it becomes a crutch and it becomes a thing that is expected and we can't even tweak it or touch it and we don't need to think about changing it, then those traditions have become paramount to commands. And if you talk about getting rid of them, it's like you're touching the word of God. So religious traditions have their value, but only if they are grounded and stay true to the word that's been revealed. What Jesus is getting at is that so much of what we do in church as Christians 
is to focus on the exterior, our, our, our behavior. If, if we'll just do this, then everything will be good. And, and, you know, we're really pretty good at it. We're good at hiding. Just about every time a horrendous tragedy takes place at the hands of, of some individual, they'll talk to the neighbors. And what do the neighbors always say? Wow, he was such a nice guy. I never would have thought he would have done something like this. Because he's a wonderful actor. He's a hypocrite. He shows one thing, but inside he's totally different. And as Christians, sometimes we can get so hung up on trying to change the outside without really addressing what's on the inside. So the issue of food is not really important, but it kind of is. Because as the food goes, so do attitudes. Do you remember when Peter in, in, in Acts chapter 10 was praying and God gives him a vision of all these unclean, impure animals? And the voice from heaven, God says, eat. And what does Peter say? Uh-uh, you're not getting me on that one. I know that trick question. We don't do that. Never eaten anything impure. And not about to start now. Vision comes back. Eat. Nope, not me. Three times. And then there's a knock on the door. He goes down, go to Cornelius' house. So then Peter begins to make the connection. Oh, wait a second. That was about eating food, but this is about people. You're, you're, you're saying that food is okay, and then Peter comes to this really important uh, uh, intellectual and spiritual moment where he tells the gathering there in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him in his house. But God has shown me that I should not call any person impure or unclean. That's where Jesus is going. Because the food is temporary. The food issue is going to go away within a matter of years. But the treating of people as impure and the treating of people as unclean. That's going to happen all the way up to 2019. Catherine and I watched a documentary uh, called The Green Book. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie. You might have already seen it at one Best Picture uh, Oscar. I haven't seen the movie. All I've seen is this documentary. And, and at first, uh, when, I, when I heard about the movie, it's like, oh, so it's a book that's green. Okay. <laughs> but that's not actually what it's, why it's called that. The, the official title of the book uh, um, that the movie is loosely based on, The Negro Motorist... Green Book. And it was written by a man, African-American, mailman, 
named Victor Hugo Green. And he published it from 1930s into the 1960s. And he published it for African Americans who, as prosperity began to hit their homes, they had cars. And now they could travel. And as they would travel through the country, they would find themselves in cities and towns and villages where they weren't welcome in restaurants. And they weren't welcome in hotels. And there were numerous accidents because they were they just had to keep driving. They couldn't park. They would get arrested if they were sitting in their cars. And there was no hotel that would accept non-whites. So they had to drive. So Mr. Green started putting together this travel book to help African-Americans who are traveling across the country. know. oh, in this city, this is the hotel you can go to. When you get to this town, this is the this is the restaurant that will serve you. The, the, the book also highlighted sundown towns. And these sundown towns were where blacks were not welcome after sundown. And if you were in these towns after sundown and your skin was dark, you would be open to the possibility of lynching and mistreatment. And the interesting thing, well, interesting, the striking thing is it wasn't only African-Americans. There were certain towns that prohibited Mexicans after dark, Japanese, Jews, Native Americans. And what we have is in this country, we have a situation where a book has to be written to help people navigate this country. It's already been declared free, already been declared all men are created equal, and yet they weren't. And then even in certain towns, there's a town in Illinois that kept their anti-Jewish and African-American housing covenants until 1990. You couldn't purchase a home if you were of that particular persuasion. And what Jesus is saying that, you know, it's time for us to put to rest this idea that certain people are pure and certain people are impure. And your pigmentation or your parents or your passport or your language or your gender has nothing to do with your value and your acceptance before God. And Jesus is saying, I have declared all food clean. And Peter gets it. I understand that I should call no person unclean. And that means I will shake hands and I will hug and I will embrace and I will accept people of all colors, in all languages, in all ethnicities, all genders. Because my call isn't to judge according to this false idea that if I touch them, they're going to make me impure. My call is to love my neighbor as myself. And my neighbor is every single person that's around. Jesus has already shown that he doesn't play by their rules in touching 
women who were impure with their uh, uh, their their blood loss, their hemorrhage. He, he he's touched a corpse. The text that Randy will lead us through next week. He's going to touch and interact with people from Gentile areas. He's interacted with people who were demon possessed. And so as men and women who are following Jesus, the last place, the last place where we should see any of these old mistaken ideas is church. And yet, they continue. And what is needed is a baptism. But not a baptism of the body so much as a baptism of the heart. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus chooses this word to suggest that that's how they thought that they could make things pure was by baptizing them. And what Jesus is going to conclude in Mark chapter 16 and what we all know is that he will tell us that that's how we are made new. That's how a new heart is created in us. By this resurrection out of the water, by this resurrection from the dead. And so when we're baptized, all of us. Our attitudes, our actions, our priorities, our heart is also baptized. And I think Jesus points out the things that are wrong with the human heart. And I think one of the things that he's trying to emphasize is that, you know, people of this group and people of that group have every one of these issues just like you and I do. We're all struggling to be God's people and following his path. So the call for us, brothers and sisters, is no longer treat anyone as pure, as impure, as defiled, as unacceptable. Especially in a place like Miami and especially at a place like Sunset. There should be no inkling of any of those kinds of activities. And if we ever forget, remember, as you're eating on a pork barbecue rib... That all foods are clean. And then all people. If we can pray for you, please make your way to the front. Cheryl will be here to receive you. God bless. Who's that? Yeah.